0: Again, we're in the book of Jude. It only has the one chapter. And our our focus is kind of twofold. It's how to identify uh, people who might try to divide, but then also for us to have an offensive attitude of love and holiness as we try to do what God wants us to do. So we're going to do just a brief little review this morning. And then after that review, we're going to jump in to kind of the next section today. Today's message, again, is kind of about, it's kind of the negatives, the things to avoid and the things to look out for, for people who might try to divide the church. And then next week, we'll focus on the positive for us. And then the last Sunday, I think you'll really enjoy is, is just a focus on who God is. And all of this is in the book of Jude. So let's look in Jude, and we're going to go down to verse 17. And start there. And again, try to get the purpose of this book. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. So this morning, I want us to think a little bit about, again, identifying those characteristics. And it's been kind of tricky. It's so easy, again, for us to look out to other people and to judge them, right? And you're going to have the same thing today. We're going to look at some characteristics from Cain, from Korah, from Balaam. And you're going to be, oh, I know somebody like, oh, yeah, I know somebody like that. That's not really the point this morning. The point is for you to look in your heart and and say, is there any seed of this problem in my own life? Lord, you come and extinguish it. You make me what I need to be. And then, Lord, in my own church family, help us to protect, protect against these kinds of things. Uh, Pastor uh, Rico Tice, he writes, I'll never forget the funeral at which an old lady said to me. Rico, do you know what failure is? No, tell me, I answered. What she s- said next has stuck with me ever since. Failure is being successful at the things that don't matter. Failure is being successful at the things that don't matter. Rico continues, success is hearing well done from the only lips that do matter. Failure is being successful at the things that don't truly matter at all. So again, today, we're going to be looking at judgment. It's a good reminder to reflect on your life. And here's the thing for me, the Lord at least has impressed it on me. I think he will to you as well today. It's are you choosing faith? Um, It is easy to get in routine, isn't it? And I'm finding this the older you get, routine is everything, right? I could probably tell you the next year in a lot of ways for me, which is really sad. I mean, my life is that boring, (laughs) okay? And we can get in these routines. And unfortunately, sometimes spiritually, we can get in routines where the passion and the fire is not where it needs to be. Again, today, as we think about these things, I hope that you'll be encouraged that Lord help me each day to approach a day that my faith would be increased. All right, real quick reminders from last week. The Lord said there in verse 17 through 19, there would be scoffers. Do we have any scoffers today? Well, um, spend about two seconds on social media and you'll find those real quickly, right? Quick aside, I just, this blew my mind yesterday. I thought this was really interesting as you think about influence. Um, Twitter, I was listening to, it's a podcast called For Economics, and I think they said Twitter does about 35 Billion dollars in advertising. I was like, "Whoa, oh, that's a lot of advertising." Facebook does seventy billion dollars in advertising, and they said all the major traditional media markets fit in the back of the pocket of Facebook. That's how big this is. And so it was interesting to me, this article was just the idea of where are you getting, where are you getting your information and what are you being fed and are you really checking your sources. And so just a reminder again, scoffers are all over the place, right? Nothing new, wasn't new in Jude's day. It's not new in our day. You're going to know them by three things. We talked about this last week. The first thing is their actions, right? Um, you've probably heard the old statement, you're not to judge, but I can be a fruit inspector. (laughs) I think that's a little bit of a a skirt around what the scripture has to say, but you will know people, their faith by their works, right? The Bible is very clear about that. So if somebody has talks a really good game, but you don't see love and service and a heart of worship in them, then you need to be careful uh, listening to the words they say. The second thing we talked about, you will see a desire to divide, right? And last week, I kind of picked on Bella and Leah and the girls, and we talked about cliques, right? Remember that? And how that, uh, there can be these little um, sections in a church, and someone will try to push one section to another. Watch out for that uh, in a church. And then we saw the last thing there. You'll see this, and this is the one that where the Lord's really convicted me. You'll see a pursuit of natural instincts rather than walking in the Holy Spirit. That's probably the hardest thing for most of us, Right? What am I going to do today? Is the Lord wanting me to do this? And how do I determine that? Both of my kids right now, well, my son, he just actually bought a new vehicle this week, and my daughter's looking to buy a a car as well. I think Wendy's getting car fever, but I'm trying to hold her back. (laughs) When you go to make a big decision like that, right, if you're a believer, usually you're praying about it, right? And you're trying to figure out, Lord, what is this? Is, Is this what I need to do? And there's some definitely some common sense things that come into play and being a good steward that that comes into play. But some things as well is, is trying to determine, is the Lord talking or is this just what I want? right? And so what we want to be careful of is that, again, we don't just talk a good game, but that we see the power of God in our midst. And just real quick, this is a good day for this sermon because we see the power of God on the front row today. Amen. You would not believe that what God did, and He did it in my grandma's heart as well when she was almost 80, that He changed her heart that late in life. As I get older, I'm more stubborn every day. So, for God to change the heart of someone who's lived a certain way for so long is the power of God. And so, today I want you to be looking in your own life Lord, where's the power of God in my life? Am I just walking through the routine? Or am I growing in faith? And can I say, I saw God move in this situation and I know that it was him. And that's what I'll encourage you about today. Again, just briefly not to rehearse everything from last week, but we saw last week that the people we looked at, they were all surrounded by grace and yet they chose destruction. Are you surrounded by grace today? Tons and tons of, first of all, you live in America right? We can kind of get down on America sometimes. And I know politics and government kind of wears us out, but we live in America, (laughs) right? I mean, we still have an opportunity to speak and let our voices be heard and to do so many things without fear. It's an incredible place where we live. That's grace. That's God's grace in our life. And then the grace that's just sitting around you today, people whose lives have been changed by the Holy Spirit, who now have hope when they had only despair, they're in this room and you're around them. Grace is all around us. So we want to make sure that we choose grace and not destruction. What we saw last week, that you still can choose destruction even when grace surrounds you. Also, that quick reminder, we're to judge our own hearts and then to work to protect the unity and the integrity of our church family. And So today we're going to look at some more characteristics of what King James would say these certain men or these certain people who are trying to divide the church and so again, just quickly this morning, you look at your own heart and kind of reflect through these things and say, "Lord, if there's a seed of this in me, you help me extinguish it. You help me get rid of it." And then after you've done that, you say, "Lord, if there's a seed of this anywhere in my church family, give me the boldness to pray and encourage someone that we can make sure that this division stays away from us." So the characteristics we're going to look at next this morning, there's three, and there's three different little stories that tell us about these characteristics. They are unbelief and greed, and jealousy. Have you ever had an issue with any of those? (laughs) Today? Right? I mean, they are around us, all around us. So look in verse 11, if you would, this morning. Jude writes to the church, he says, woe to them. Again, speaking to those certain ungodly individuals who are trying to tear down the church. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error and they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. So what Jude does for the church is I'm going to give you three examples of problems that are in the the people that are trying to divide God's church. The first one is the way of Cain. Everybody know Cain's way? You can go back to Genesis chapter 4 and you can read there about Cain and Abel, right? Um, Did Cain do the livestock or was he more of a uh, A seed and fruit guy. (laughs) He did the produce, right? And if you study after Cain, you'll see in Genesis chapter four that Cain, when it came time to offer God something, he gave God some of his fruits, right? Some of his produce. What did Abel give? He gave the fat, right? He gave the fat of the animal to the Lord. Now, there's a lot of debate about why was God upset with Cain and why did God seem to like Abel? But if you look, especially in Hebrews chapter 11, I think you'll see the main difference between these two young men was that one had faith and one did not. Now, this is some penology here. So you guys study this out as well with yourself. okay? I think even already at the time, I think Cain was going through the motions it doesn't even say that he gave the first fruits. It just says that he gave some fruits. Okay, we're supposed to offer something to our God. I got a little extra over here. I'll give it to him, right? Do you ever do that to the Lord? I gotta be careful here because it's gonna really come back and bite me, right? Um, I need to talk to the Lord today. I wanna make sure I got all my TV watching in and my sports news in. Uh, I got about 10 minutes, Lord. You good with that? All right you ever just give the lord the leftovers? right? well that's what Cain was doing. and in him it was the routine. abel again, you read hebrews chapter 11, abel had a heart of faith and out of his faith he offered the firstborn uh, of the animals of the livestock he offered that to the lord and abel did it out of a heart of love, cain did not. so cain in my opinion his problem was Unbelief. He, his act was empty with a heart of faith. And so you might would see, or maybe Jude would say about the people that he's writing about there in the book, as these leaders, these quote-unquote, he's going to call them shepherds in a minute, they may be participating in church, but their hearts are not in it. And let's just be honest. Everybody in here at one time or another, you've been part of a church activity or even a church worship service where your heart wasn't there, right? And that's okay. I mean, that's part of our up and down life. But what we need to do is recognize that and then beg the Lord to forgive us and bring that passion and that love and that faith back. And so the Lord's already been challenging me as I've been working through this. Lord, today, increase my faith. Let me be a person of great faith. Cain was not And neither are the men here that Jude is talking about. That's the first example. So unbelief, watch out for unbelief. The second one is greed. And this is a man by the name of Balaam. You guys remember Balaam? You can look at numbers like 21, 22, 23, and then chapter 31. Balaam's a pretty interesting story. And it really kind of hit me again because the king that was trying to curse the Israelites, do you know where he was from? He's from the same place that Ruth was from. Moab. All right. What happened was Balak was king and he sees all this. And if we have our understanding right from history, about a million people moving in near his land. And to him, it was like they were locusts. (laughs) They're going to come, they're going to eat away all the resources. I need these people out of here. Balaam, I hear that you have influence with the supernatural. Let's work out a deal. I'll pay you some big bucks. And then you can curse these people, and then they'll get out of my land. And what's the first response from Balaam? Do you remember? No, I can't do that. Lord won't let me do that. I mean, Balak sends a whole envoy, and Balaam says, no, sorry. It's just not going to work out. So then Balak sends another envoy to him. More money brings it into him. And then this time Balaam's like, well, maybe we could check it out. Right? Isn't that how we work sometimes with the dollar sign? The first time the devil tempts you and you're like, oh, no, I know better. I'm going to follow the Lord. This is not going to be a problem. But the second time he increases the bet a little bit and you're like, yeah, maybe this time, you know, just to make sure nobody else falls into that trap. I should probably look at that. Amen. Who's ever said that? Come on, bunch of liars out there. Right. I mean, seriously, that is the way we approach it sometimes, isn't it? I'm going to justify this opportunity maybe so I can just get a little taste of the well. Well, again, it doesn't work out so well. Balaam says it's just not going to happen. The Lord's going to bless his people. So finally, that it's time the third time, Balak calls Balaam. And then you'll remember this story, part of the story, I'm sure, because Balaam gets on the donkey, right? And he's going down the path, and there's hedgerows and preachers' pictures here may be different than what exactly it was, but going down this really tight hedgerow, riding the donkey. And all of a sudden, the donkey just bangs into the wall. And I can just see Balaam getting so mad. You stupid donkey. Come here, I'm going to beat the tar out of you. He gets back on the donkey, goes a little further. Second time, boom, beats the donkey. The donkey's just braying. Oh, what is going on here? Third time, boom, It hits him again. He hits the donkey. And then the donkey talks. And then Balaam talks to the donkey. I just still can't get over that part of it, right? It's like, to me, if a donkey talks to me, I'm like, shutting up. I'm like, what's going on? but Balaam starts having the conversation with the donkey. And then the Lord opens the eyes of Balaam and he sees the angel with the sword in the path. And the angel says, if the donkey didn't stop, I was going to take your life. Again, Balaam was flirting with greed all along the way. Well, if you read the story a little bit further, what you'll find is that Balaam He goes to pray and Balak's there listening to the prayers and every single prayer is blessing and blessing and blessing on the Israelites. And even Balaam will pray and prophesy about Moab and how it's going to be destroyed. So I don't think the cash deal may not have worked out too great for him down the road. But in chapter 31, you will find what Balaam really did. Balaam told Balak, the king, if you want to really have a, these Israelites have an issue, Send your young women over to the Israelite men. Have them take their gods. Then these young Israelite men will worship the false gods in Balaam's mind. And then the holy God will bring judgment upon them. And that's exactly what happened. Two separate plagues because of their sin. And it was about Balaam's greed that drove him to do what he did. Do we have greed in the church today? We have greed in our own life today, right? Again, Lord, help us if you see that seed to extinguish that. And that was one of the problems as well. Third example. So you've got Cain, you've got Balaam, and then you have Korah. And Korah is also in the book of Numbers, I believe chapter 16. Korah was a Levite, but he wasn't part of the priestly uh, Levites like Aaron and his sons. And one day, Korah was examining things, and he just said, well, we are all the people of God. We are all holy. Why does Moses get to be the one that gets to make the decisions? You ever done that? Why does so-and-so get to make the decisions, whoever the so-and-so is at your work or your family or whatever? I'm just as good as they are. Now, what usually happens if you're the person in charge and people start coming telling you how that they could do it so much better? right? Moses was such a humble man because I, there's no way I would have responded the way that he did, but he could see that God was actually wanting to take out his own people and just start again. And Moses was like, that would be horrible for your namesake. He goes, let's set up a little test. So Korah, another guy by the name of Dathan, another guy by the name of Abiram, they're all Levites. And once Korah said it, somebody else kind of jumped on, right? It's kind of like on Survivor when you have to get your team together, right? So that you have an opportunity to, you can't just do it by yourself. Well, the next thing you know, there's 250 men with Korah and Dathan and Abiram. And they're like, bring it on, Moses. And Moses is like, okay, we're going to have, you get your sensors out. We'll have ours. We'll let God come and speak. And we'll let him decide who needs to lead this people. That's a sin there in my mind. Again, you read the scriptures, but I think it was jealousy that was driving them. They just couldn't stand that Moses and Aaron had so much privilege and authority, what they thought. They, of course, didn't see all the responsibility and all the grief that came with a love for a people who kept grumbling and complaining. So they set things out. And then Moses, very in my mind, in a very uh, compassionate way, tells everybody else to get away from the tents of Dathan and Abiram and to back off because the Lord's about to show himself. And if you read the scriptures that day, the scripture says, Moses says, well, this is how we're going to determine who is following the Lord and who is not, who the Lord is asking us to lead the people and who is not. Whoever the earth opens up and swallows is not the person that the Lord is choosing. Now that's kind of an interesting test, isn't it, right? what? Moses even goes so far to say, he says, if they die of natural causes, then you know that I am no prophet of the Lord. Everybody steps back, and the earth actually opens, and the family of Korah, the family of Dathan, the family of Abiram all fall into the earth, is what the scripture says. Not only that, fire comes down, and the 250 men who had the censers all laid out burned up all those men. They took all of the bronze that was making up the censers, and they used it to overlay the altar. It would always be a remembrance of where God moved on that event. Whoa. You better listen to the preacher, amen? I'm just kidding about that. You better listen to the Lord, though, right? Be careful when that little seed of jealousy gets in. And again, I don't mean to harp on this, but we just know how it works on social media. You see someone's best life. (laughs) They're only showing their best life. They're not showing you their whole life. You know your worst life, right? Don't let that influence you to be like, oh, that's what I gotta have. That's not even real, okay? But when those little seeds of jealousy start pricking in, especially if they start to, to pop their head with you in church, And you ask the Lord to help you, right? I mean, there's all different kinds of way. You might see somebody like, but they have a nice vehicle. I wish I had such a nice vehicle. Boy, why is that, right? Or they have such a good spouse. Why did I end up with who I got? Right? Hey, you've been there. Yeah, right? I'm just saying that there is times where you look around or you'd be like, boy, man, she can play the piano so well. Why can't I play the piano like that? right? Or he, he can teach a class or he's so good at fixing things like, man, I would have to buy a new one of those four times over, but so-and-so has fixed that thing four times. Well, maybe they fixed it four times. So may have a problem. Let's just say once, right? This morning, what I want you to be careful of is the jealousy. And we all have it. I'm not saying you're not going to have it, but when that seed gets in your heart, Lord, help me. And one of the best ways to get rid of jealousy is to develop a heart of gratitude. Amen? When you know what Jesus did for you, then it don't matter what he's doing for everybody else. He can do great things for them because he's not going to do anything for them like he's done for me. He saved me. He delivered me. He gave me hope. Go for it. Bless him to death. I don't care. The Lord's been good. All right, so you can see those three areas there in the book of Jude. Those are things that we want to be careful of. We also, in a very loving way, in a humble way, but with a Holy Spirit-led way, we may need to, to step up to our brothers and sisters and occasionally say, look, I see this seed in your heart a little bit. I'm a little concerned about it, and I'm concerned for my own self. Let's work on this together. And so he calls them out there in the church there that he's writing to. Look down at verse 12. What we're really going to see here is these empty hearts, people that are part of routine, they're part of uh, ongoing process, but there's no love, there's no faith there. Verse 12, these people are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you, Without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves, they are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, they're autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, they are twice dead. Verse 13, they are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars. And Lotus' last part here, for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Again, Jude doesn't pull punches, does he? Right? And again, this is why we teach the whole counsel of God. We want to talk about John three sixteen and how much Jesus loves you that he died for you. And we want to talk about the manger scene and how beautiful it is that this young virgin woman has a Messiah who's come to save the whole earth. But we also talk about the scriptures where the wrath of God comes down and swallows up a Korah, where he will destroy a Balaam and where he will punish Cain for their sin. You take the whole thing, not nah, just a part of it, right? All right. Jude says, watch out again for these certain men. They are blemishes at your love feast. Now, I do get the wrong idea about love feast. I'm not even sure that's the best way to translate it in our current context. Basically, it was a time of fellowship and gathering. But what you would find about these men, Jude says, when they come to that fellowship and gathering time, what do they do? They take care of themselves. They make sure they got their stuff and they've got plenty of stuff. They're not worried about anyone else. Probably in our modern context, they would be the last person you would see to mop the floor or do the dishes or dry them and put them away. They were all about them. That's who they were. Again, what troubles me is he says they were shepherds who only feed themselves. Which makes me wonder if even some of these people were making their way into places of leadership or influence in the church. So we really wanna be careful about that. Then he says there are clouds without rain. Again, they did not possess the power of God. They could talk a game. And you've probably been around some people, I know in my life, I have definitely been around some people who claim Christ, who could really talk a good game, who could quote tons of scripture. But when you look at their testimony, and you look at their heart, they were clouds without rain. There was no faith that matched up with all of that talk. And then I like what he says here, and I highlighted this for you. He calls them twice dead trees. Twice dead trees. Why are they twice dead? No fruit and no what? Root. Remember that. No fruit and no root. And actually those things go together, right? Jesus says in John 15, he says, you need to abide in me, abide in the vine, right? And when we abide in the vine, we will be fruitful. But again, you can tell people that are just clouds without rain that are just all top because there is no fruit. And there is no root. There is no foundation. Just like in Matthew 7, they built their house on shifting sand, didn't they, right? Because it was all about them. And they were working so hard for the temporary, they missed the eternal. There's no depth to them because they're not tied into anything. If you find people like that, uh, that's a a sign for us to beware of them, be careful of them. Again, all this, we want people that don't know the Lord to come to know him, right? But the problem here is these people claim they know him. Oh yeah, I know the Lord. But again, they don't have the fruit. They don't have the truth, the actions that match their talk. He says like the waves, they were wild, but they were really only accomplishing their shame, just like that uh, foam that's on the sea wave. And then finally, the wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever, without purpose, without direction, again, seeking themselves. But what we see here, and that's where we kind of end up this morning, is that their judgment is sure. I don't know. Again, I want to be careful here. I I, I like to have fun. I like to to joke from time to time. This isn't a joking piece here. Their judgment is sure. They have an opportunity, just like we do, to surrender to Christ, to invite him into our life, to trust him, and to, to follow him. But all they've done is just talk and fake. And what the scripture says is judgment day is coming for them. And to be honest with you today, judgment day is coming for us all. We're going to stand before the Lord, and we're going to give an account for what we did with what he gave to us. And again, I don't mean to end on such a down note, but I don't want to miss the truth that Jude is sharing here today. Judgment's going to come. Look down at verse 14. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. He said, see, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness. And of all the defiant words, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders, and they follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Does it ever kind of, this is probably the best terminology, but ever kind of tick you off that people who are defiant about God Sometimes look, there just like, everything's going great for them, right? Man, what is the deal? Where are you at, Lord? They're saying all these bad things about you, and yet it doesn't seem like you're doing anything. Like, they're, they're even got it so much better than everybody else. And this is a reminder that justice does come. Justice will come. Just as sure as the Bible is true, as sure as Jesus came to this earth, justice is coming. Again, a few quick things about these people as we wrap up things today. Enoch, way back, just the seventh from Adam, he prophesies that judgment is coming. Ungodly acts will be judged. Now, the good news is for the believer, ungodly acts are forgiven. Amen. But for those who reject Christ, they're judged. Defiant words, grumblings, fault finders. You guys know how that is, especially in our culture Again, I was listening to some things about how contempt is almost like a highlighted value in our culture today, isn't it? And yet those things will be judged. And finally, they were boasting and flattering for their own advantage. Be careful when people tell you how great you are this morning, right? Me too, right? We got a lot of of flattering, right? What was the message there? He says, these certain men they will use flattery to their advantage. They are smooth talkers, right? They find their way in and they use that. All right, let's conclude with this illustration this morning and we'll, we'll move on to our, our baptism in just a minute. This is from Frederick Buchner. He says, whenever we speak of the end times, our hearts often quicken, partly out of joy, yet also out of fear. To speak of end times is to speak of somewhat uncertain times. No one knows the day or the hour, Christ says, not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun, but the uncertainty of calendars and dates isn't what troubles us most. It's that notion of final judgment. So perhaps these words from author and pastor Frederick Buchner can offer a bit of comfort. Words that both acknowledge the reality of coming judgment and the grace-filled love of the judge. Again, put it all together. The New Testament proclaims that at some unforeseeable time in the future, God will ring down the final curtain on history and there will come a day on which all our days and all the judgments upon us and all our judgments upon each other will themselves be judged. The judge will be Christ. The Bible is clear. In other words, the one who judges us most finally will be the one who loves us most fully. (laughs) Isn't that good? Right? If your heart is given to Jesus today, the one who's going to judge you the most, he loves you the most. We need to be ready. So you guys, we prayed for my dad, especially on Wednesday night. My dads he has two best friends, and one of them passed away Monday night up at Barnes Hospital in St. Louis. And he, he, he's not religious, and his family's not religious. But they knew that my dad was a believer. And so when it came for our funeral, they're like, well, you're the closest thing that we know to a preacher. Would you come and do the ceremony? <laughs> Which I thought was pretty te- awesome testimony of my dad. And if you would know the situation, it's also very interesting because a lot of his name was Blaine. A lot of Blaine's friends and my dad friends, they went to high school together. So they had a lot of the same buddies. And so a lot of the people that came to that funeral that may have not been believers, they'd known my dad and Blaine for a long time, but they got to see my dad in a little bit of a different light. And what really hit me, my dad shared a lot of funny stories and really was comforting to the family. But he, The main heartbeat of his message was that it's all about Jesus and what you do with him. And if you haven't heard anything else today, but in our singing and in our speaking and our scripture reading and what we're about to do after church, it should all be about Jesus. Because when it's all said and done, what you had for breakfast doesn't matter. The car that you drive doesn't matter. The phone you have in your pocket doesn't matter. Those things don't matter a bit. But what does matter is what did you do with Christ? If we will trust in Christ, it's going to change how we live now. And it's also going to change how we face Judgment Day. Amen. But this is the truth of Jude. If we reject Christ, we will live as we please for a short time. But we will ultimately face destruction. Look at Cain. Look at Balaam. Look at Korah the choice is yours. And here's the thing I really want to end with this morning. And you make that choice every single day. Okay, you only get saved one time. But that choice of faith is a choice you make every morning when you get up, isn't it right? Lord, today, I'm going to trust you. You lead me. My challenge is to you is that you would do that. All right, let's stand this morning.